0: we rockin' with Azumali and you're listening to a Step Off Radio production, you And this is where the mango grow.
1: This episode contains graphic discussions of racial profiling and police violence. Viewer discretion is advised. Internets, welcome to another episode of Step Off Radio, the official podcast of Step Off Magazine. We got an amazing show lined up for you guys today on the podcast. Today I'm joined by none other than recording artist Azo Mali. He's an underground hip-hop artist from Freeport, New York. Strong Island in the house today. He is of Afro-Colombian descent, and for the past 14 years, he's made music as an artist in New York's underground hip-hop scene. Like many of our guests featured here on Step Off Radio, he regularly incorporates philosophies of decolonization, pan-Indigenous unity across the Americas, and is a vocal critic of U.S. imperialism in his music. This honestly is an interview that has been a long time in the making, guys. I had a wonderful conversation with Azamali covering a wide variety of topics, and I can't wait to share it with you all. First, we have some words from our friends of the show, and then we will return with my conversation with the one and only Azamali. See you soon.
0: Kyoburrasa, powerful,
1: persistent, and prolific. We are Perseverance Clothing. Look us up, www.perseveranceclothing.net. Shop now, you won't regret it. Y que la raza. Shout out to Step Off Magazine. Stay up, listen up. We are here. Much love. internets before we start today's show we just want to remind you all that step off radio is available on all major podcast streaming platforms yo we got the show on so many different platforms guys we got available on apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher iheart podcast network pocket cast radio public podcast addict overcast breaker podchaser tune in and of course soundcloud Step Off Radio is 100% free with minimal commercial interference, and we're always bringing you that rough, rugged, and raw hip hop, art, culture, and contemporary politics. Step Off Radio is truly the podcast for the people, y'all. So make sure you head on over to your favorite podcast streaming platform, press that subscribe button, and make sure to share and review.
0: Search for you inside of her, try to search for you inside of me. Question thoughts apart my sanity. Exit back and forth for reality.
1: As the mecca of hip hop, New York City has long been an incubator for some of the world's most unique and brilliant artistic movements of the past century. Bringing sounds, cultures, traditions, and people from all around the world together, it comes as no surprise that hip-hop has not only served as music of the streets and the pulse of the people, but has functioned as a means to speak truth to power. Continuing on in this tradition is none other than Freeport MC Azomali. Inspired by artists such as Nas, Mobb Deep, Lauren Hill, and Moe's Def, Azomali has managed to create his own unique sound to create inspirational music that is not only accessible for modern listeners, but timeless for future generations to come as well. Whether rapping about Colombia's beauty, incorporating ancestral sounds, or emceeing about his journeys through the streets of New York, Azamali serves as a link between two worlds. Effortlessly switching back and forth between English and Spanish, Azamali combines both the influences of his Colombian roots with that of the New York sound. From traditional Colombian music to boom bap, To modern-day sounds of drill music, Azumali creates a tapestry of sounds, ideas, and philosophies in his music that is quite unlike anything being created by his peers in the underground hip-hop scene of New York City. Having garnered a dedicated and growing following online, Azumali has quickly become one of the most prominent torchbearers at the forefront of indigenous resistance in underground hip-hop far beyond the borders of his home base in New York. During our discussion, we were able to talk about Azomali's personal history growing up in the streets of Freeport, New York, his mixtape Where the Mangoes Grow, his move out to Southern California, and the contrast between East Coast and West Coast culture, as well as his incorporations of decolonization, indigenous resistance, and hip-hop. With that said, we here at Step Off Radio are proud to present with you all a conversation with the one and only Azomali. Alright internets! welcome back to another episode of Step Off Radio, the official podcast of Step Off Magazine Today I got a very special guest here on the show today, coming straight out of Freeport, New York We got the one and only Oslo Mali, you might know him for collaborating with the Brothers Cosmic Forest Also you might have heard him on the LA Natives Podcast, welcome to the show brother
0: Hey, the relative, yo, shout out to Cosmic Four, shout out to LA natives, shout out to Underground Hip Hop blog, shout out to Step Off Radio. You know what I'm saying? We out here, five one six from New York, New
1: York. <laughs> no doubt, so, man. Yo, brother, thanks again for taking the time out of your day to come be with us. You know, for our listeners that may not be familiar with you and your work, yo, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your name, your age, where you're from, and what is it exactly that you do. Who is Azomali?
0: All right, well, my name is Azomali, and it's a Nawa word for tranquility. You know, I strive to look for that in, in the, word of the world of chaos that we constantly live in. You know, it's very constant. It's very important to keep your inner waters constantly in a, in a state of uh, peace so you can make the best decisions that you can, and, and it provides more room for you to operate through your heart space. A lot of our relatives say, you know, like Zero said, you know, our bodies are made out of more than 85% water. it's it's very important to keep that water nice and uh, serene I'm uh, 27 years young and I'm from Freeport, New York my family's Columbia Uh, my mom's from Medellin and my dad's from Bogota
1: no doubt man with that said man let's start from the beginning tell us a little bit about your early years did you grow up in a musical or artistic household you know and if you did what kind of music were you listening to growing up you know what was getting played in the household regularly
0: a lot of old school cumbia you know cumbia A lot of people don't know this, but cumbia comes from the African word kumbe, which is in, I don't know exactly what African uh, language, but it means to move. You know, it's, it's it's a genre of music that was created in a revolutionary setting, you know, of oppressed peoples, you know, of people that had been enslaved from Africa and then the natives that were currently within Cartagena or in the Santa Marta region. You know, that's what I listen to a lot when I was at my house. You know, I, I grew up in a single household, you know what I'm saying, with my moms. And she was always working, so I was raised basically by my grandparents. My grandpa always, always had that playing. used to play the old school NBA, like, you know, like stuff that you can still hear the African influence is heavy. And, you know, with the drums and las gaitas and the different league balls and, you know, that stuff. That's My childhood basically feels like it's always had that playing in the background, you know.
1: So you listen to all this music in the household. Was art something or making music? Was that something also that was going on in the household? Your grandparents, were they artistic as well?
0: No, they weren't. They never they never like tried to push me to do art. If anything, I would get in trouble when I would do art, you know? They were very heavy on me trying to get a good education. I was always actually getting in trouble for being creative or being artistic because they were so worried that I would stray away from the route of doing things in a certain systematic like process that uh, they felt that I was kind of a daydreamer. And that carried on to my whole life. It's like a gift and a curse. You know, my, my art stems from that space, that space of blissfulness. And so art, unfortunately, wasn't present in my household, but it was present in my friendships growing up. You know, as a young individual, you know, shout out to Roberto, Joel, and Andy. You know, it was like my brothers, you know, uh, I grew up with them when I was younger and, you know, they, they showed me a lot growing up. You know, they, they introduced me to my first mob beat track, my first Nas song, my first Wu-Tang song. Those things, like, I remember the shift, the shift in my mind when I heard that, you know, I had to have been like, what, like nine years old, eight eight years old when I first heard my first
1: Wu-Tang song. No doubt, man. You know, like, let's, let's hop into that, man. You know, describe that first feeling when you first fell in love with hip-hop, you know, because you're from New York. That is the the genesis, the mecca, the birthplace of hip-hop, you know. So for our listeners out there, kind of paint a picture for them, you know, how you first got into hip-hop culture. Like, tell, take us on that journey. All right, so we were uh, we were sitting down, and, and I heard this song coming from uh, Joelle's room, and I was wondering what it was, and I was like...
0: When I had walked in, you know, I saw him him bumping Quiet Storm. Quiet Storm was the first real, real, if you want to say real hip-hop song I ever heard. That song, like, shifted, you know, like, my mind. You know, it was something that I have felt, you know, that and uh, Survival of the Fittest. When you see the music video you, you see the stove clicking and ending, and it goes along with the beat you know and, and they kind of put me into this zone that I was like wow this music feels like my environment you know this music feels like when it's cold outside you like gotta wear North Face with some Tims or you know you gotta bundle up and multiple layers and have a face mask or a ski mask on, you know, that something about that feeling took me on a journey a spiritual journey that I don't think other genres of music has t- have taken me through, you know, during my uh, childhood, so that music to me feels like the graffiti that's on five points is a spot in Queens, you know, or whether the graffiti is on a subway station it feels to me like how the the bilar smells like or the train station at penn station you know it just feels like the rustiness in concrete building it just feels like the way that the doors creak everything to that feeling looking out my window you know in the winter time it just all resonated with me in in such a way that it, it became a staple part of my musical taste you know my deep knots you know az the firm you know, Jamal, tricks all these artists. I just felt like we uh, I would just say, man, where's it? You know, like what the heck? Like it was amazing.
1: You're growing up and you're listening to all this classic boom bap, New York hip hop. You know, of contemporary. Underground hip hop artists, like you said, like Jedi Mind. What was the moment when, like, you actually decided to pick up the pen and start making music of your own? Like, you were like, "This is something that I want to do." You kind of go from being uh, an observer and actually being a participant in the culture. Oh man, you want to know something? Nobody knows this, and I'm glad that in this
0: interview I, I get to say this. I had an album. I had the Clips. I don't know if you know the group, the Clips. Mm-hmm. It was of Malice and, and Pusha T and i would listen to their stuff and for some odd reason i would hear their songs and i would rewrite their songs and i would erase the parts of the songs where i felt like they could have done better in and then i would put my part that i felt like it could have ended the rhyme better and i would say the songs to myself because i felt like i preferred it to be written that way and then i was just like man why am i so meticulous about how i want their verses to end i was like what the heck's wrong with me and i told my friend my friend was like you ever thought about writing a song and i was like ah and then he uh we we were freestyling in the room about like random shit and uh he he showed me a pair of socks there were just some socks on the floor i forgot what rhyme that i said but he was like yo like you know, like, like, yo, you got this, bro. It was like, that was, that was really good, and I was just like, yeah. But I would always listen to that clips album, and I would always, when I would hear it, I would always think in my head, man, that would have sounded better if you would have ended this with this or this with that, you know. And then it just that me constantly doing that ended up being uh, what I would do to myself. You know, I would write something down, like a rhyme of mine, and I'd be like, no, you know what, I could have used multi-syllables here. I could have related this to this, or I could have done what Nas does. A lot of people, I don't know if they notice, but Nas likes to rhyme words that don't necessarily rhyme when they looked at on the paper. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like he'll say "criminal" and "style." Child shot that ass up. You was holding out. Let the streets be the court. And corners hold the trail. Fatal, not fictitious. I rock the cable 86s. Far and calls young with crazy bitches. Man, smoke makes me able to quote. Soliciting ill editions of that murder I wrote. A provocative plan could bring a knot to my hand as the pyramids to stand on the top of the sand in the heat of the moment. Like Farrakhan said, we need atonement. Pullet proof glass S classes, chrome kitted up, calicombs lit it up. I didn't get touched. checking my nuts. I so stood up and let it touch, clutch cats, quick the bust. We know it how these niggas chattle. I sneak move, get to drop one shot without the gun battle. So when you run the leg travels, I come through with tabo. Ninety-six ways made the
1: clapping.
0: You know, like but if you look at it like style the criminal, don't you know what I'm saying? Like that's that I don't know, that's that queen shit, that's like that New York shit, like so to me, that a bunch of those things would I would always factor in, and I was listening to a lot of post death, a lot of comments. So it was just like this concoction of different beautiful sources of artistic inspiration that were pouring into me at that time. Because my friend's older brother, Joel he had this huge list of artists, and every day I would just go in, and download it to my little iPod, and you know, that so you would have to go like that, and. I would be able to have on shuffle and just hear different music. And every time that he downloaded a new artist, I would study the discography. You know, we would study uh, Black on Both Sides, Most Def, like Water for Chocolate, Common. You know, the Soulquarians album. You know, we would study all those things and, and understand metaphors and break them down. And be like, man, he would have sounded iller if he said this and that, and this and that. And it just became like, out of hearing it so much and, and being such a fanatic of, of hip hop, I ended up breaking into myself and getting comfortable with trying it out on my own you know
1: yeah man exactly you know i like how you bring up most and common because you're you're bringing up uh prior like artists like Wu-Tang and Mob Deep and Jedi Mind and these artists that are really known for this hardcore you know in your face kind of hip-hop but you you have a very gentle demeanor and a very smooth quality to your music you know How did you kind of go about, you know, crafting your own style and really deliver, you know, and kind of making, you know, not just emulating your favorite artists, but, you know, kind of coming into your own and making your own sound?
0: That happened when my my influences grew beyond hip-hop and I started looking for inspiration outside of of hip-hop. You know, I started listening to a lot of folk music, you know, a lot of classical music, a lot of old school cumbias. You know, and I started studying rhythmic patterns that weren't in, in hip-hop, but to me, were, were like I was like, okay, that's dope, like that person's flowing. And I started understanding the concept of like, I don't have to say too much to say a lot, or I don't have to scream to get my message across. And as I started doing that more, I started saying, you know, what if I don't, let me just take all that, but let me forget all of it, and just go up there, you know, naturally, you know, with all my insecurities, all the insecurities about my own voice, all the ways that I feel particularly about myself, and when I freed myself from the perception of how I felt people should view me as or view hip hop, I was able to freely express myself. And it's funny because I used to write poems a lot, and I was going through a lot, so I would write poems and I'd be sad, so my voice would be low. I just finished crying, and that kind of my crying voice kind of kind of developed into being my 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 rhythmic pattern or, or the melody that i choose to stitch a lot of my songs with you know
1: yeah exactly you know and so how old are you at this point when you actually start making music on your own first song that i ever recorded i was what 13 years old 12 years old i, I recorded it in a place called 8 west studio that place
0: got shot up like a few weeks after i recorded there.
1: you know it's crazy so this is about like uh, 2007 around that time.
0: I think so. Yeah. I I remember that I was definitely not in high school yet.
1: Oh you damn, know, so, so this was pre so this yeah, is pre-high school. school then.
0: is pre-high school. Yeah, it's pre-high school. I was a little kid running around skinny, long hair and like tight skinny jeans on like <laughs> you know, like and I remember at that studio somebody had actually tried to make fun of me after i recorded some years later he was like hey you with the tight skinny jeans he was like you're not hip-hop and i was like i'm not hip-hop i was like so i don't know what i was thinking because this is a stranger a grown man i was like so so battle me and i went upstairs and i battled him you know and i won you know rest in peace to uh Mosberg fresh that's why I, I had the battle right there in the studio that i first recorded at you
1: know yeah man no doubt so, you're, you're making music from this young age, and I like how earlier in the conversation, like you said about your influences, something I think that New York hip-hop in particular is iconic for is that it sounds like the environment. Like you said, Mobb Deep, it sounds like how you think New York sounds. If you listen to Big L, if you listen to Nas, if you listen to OC, AZ, you know... Of course, that sounds like New York. And a lot of people, you know, they picture that they invokes that image of the city. And, you know, obviously as an MC, it's not just your musical influence that affect your music you know it's also the environment you're around as well you know tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in freeport new york you know paint a picture of growing up in your neighborhood and in what ways your community you know, and perhaps new york as a whole you know kind of molded and shaped your perspective and in turn the sound and the content in your music
0: i would say the thing about freeport new york that had molded my music was the amount of influence of bachata in the area there's a large dominican community there you know, there's a large uh, Salvadorian and Colombian community there, and just hearing that in the background every day, it, it allowed me to just kind of hear and connect back to different people's motherlands, and it made me think about my own motherland, you know, and, and that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different story, you know, like it was, uh, I was able to grasp what I I could within the environment growing up. There was always very. In a rush, everything was like this, you know? And I used to always feel like I was kind of slower. Not slower, but I was more slow, slower paced than the people around me. So I would learn to appreciate, you know what I'm saying? The the little things, you know? The the way that things felt, the way that New York kind of teaches you how to kind of be quiet. You know, it teaches you not to be quiet like you're silencing yourself in an oppressive manner. But to be quiet because you're observing. You know, I, I learned that, you know, I freaking... Going to the park every day in Freeport, New York was like a breath of fresh air. You know, my father, when he would come around on certain days, a week that I was able to, my parents had been divorced, you know, we would go feed ducks at, at, at this uh, pond and he would teach me to connect around nature, you know, and, and all these things affected me being a lot more gentle, you know, especially with myself and with those around me and a lot of my uh, peers. You know, I I would feel the stress. You know, so it was a combination of living in this world where internally I felt fine, but the world around me felt very hostile. You know, there's certain things you couldn't do. You know, you get your bike stolen, you get jobs,
1: you get- You
0: You know, you have to watch it back when you go to the barbershop. Just, you know, things that would make me even more go into myself. You know, and it it served as like a motivation for me to find a portal of self-happiness.
1: Know, as, a, as a young adult or as a, a kid you know? yeah, man so like in a way you know you kind of become you know, no one knows you better than yourself, you know, but when you become even more introspective, you know you know yourself in an even more intimate way. Yeah, exactly. You become your own
0: oasis. become your own vacation, your own paradise, your own sense of peace, you know, which is what I feel like I try to communicate most with, with my music. I try to communicate most. I try to give some of that peace out or to at least let people feel that love, you know, because I feel like love is free and, and it should never be something that we should always keep to ourselves. So in the outlet, that which is music, you know, I try my best to to kind of show that and to give that,
1: you know, it's definitely a quality that uh, I admire very much, and something that's very present in your music. This tranquility and this sense of self-love, you know, it's something that's very powerful. Also, going in with the influence, as you said earlier, you know, your family is originally from Colombia, and both of your yes, parents, sir. and both of your parents were actually born there as well. And by the correct, you actually still go down regularly to go visit family, right? Yep, every single year,
0: twice a year.
1: And, you, uh, and you've actually shot videos down there, right?
0: Yes, I have. Yes, I did. I, <laughs> I shot a video called Guacamaya. You know, that video, that video showed me that I didn't think that people were going to gravitate so much towards that video in Colombia. I got love from the States from that video, but the majority of love that I got was from Colombia. And it made me realize that there are many perspectives in Colombia that aren't being voiced that I can help because you know i am both i'm from colombia but i'm also from here you know and and i I do this for the children in in colombia who are being told that hip-hop is bad or that they need to follow a certain catholic religion and not be too noisy be too boisterous you know i want that because those children are a reflection of me when i was younger Mm -hmm. you know like don't listen to that music don't hang out with those people like you know you don't want to be in in the streets or x y and z you know when when in reality all
1: i'm doing is creating art and it's there's a little colombian kid that's seeing that and,
0: and it makes him think well if he could do it then you know fuck it like i can do it too you know then that's that to me means the world to me you know you can't put a price on that
1: yeah precisely man you know like let's dive a little deeper on that you know give to give a little perspective for some of our listeners here in the states you know there's some people that never traveled outside the country like their own state or like they're even or their own city their own block for that matter you know so you know, tell us a little bit about your experiences traveling back to your family's homeland you know as an artist with this international perspective you know how is traveling to colombia and like the, and the global south really as a whole how has that informed you not just as an artist but like as an individual as well well the way that it's uh the way that it's impacted me is that
0: it's always made me feel, and and I don't know if this makes sense, but when I would go out there I would feel like I would absorb the tropical landscape and it would be inside of my soul when I would go back to New York. And I would almost feel like I don't know, like the oasis was existing within my memory. You know, in the most sacred parts of my mind and when I go out there every time that I go out there I would feel refreshed I would feel like in some kind of way or some kind of shape or form, connecting with my ancestors, I would feel more rooted and, and, and deeply in tune with who I am or with my responsibility or or with what are my duties. You know, and and yeah, that's something that greatly influenced me. When whenever I make music, I feel like I can feel the the parrots. You know, flying around, like, you know, through my soul, you know, like, I can feel the the Amazon rainforest around me, I can feel that rain, you know, and, and when I would be in uh, Colombia, what I would like to do a lot when I would you know, being within environments like the Amazon rainforest or or I was being in El Rio del Cauca or, you know, any natural environment, I would always keep one headphone in. You know, I would always keep one headphone in, and I had those, the iPad still spin. I didn't need like Wi-Fi to use or any kind of signal. And I would listen to people, and I would listen to the environment around me at, this, at the same time. I, I'd be about two things. I'd be learning more about hip-hop, more about music. i learning about my roots, you know, and, and, and my own family. And that's something that I'll never forget. You know, being able to do that now allows me to synonymously think about Colombia when I'm listening to certain tracks. Is starting backwards and seeing the difference within the urban environments, particularly in, in Medellin, all of the bricks are this red color. And it just reminded me of how that color is reminiscent to, to the melanin inside of people's skin over there and, and reminiscent to the land. If you go out to the mountains to a certain point, you see that they have natural red clay that's used for those bricks.
1: You know? Yeah, man. You know, and one, one thing I do like, about it in your music is that like there's a conscious effort on your behalf to include the indigenous culture and your own indigenous family lineage in your music because and it's not something that you see in a lot of like you know quote-unquote you know new york hip-hop like because when you think about new york hip-hop you know you think like people think timbs north face yankee fit is you know graffiti culture you know dark grimy sampled beats you know and stuff like that I don't think a lot of people's first impression when they think of New York artists is particularly, you know, related to indigenous culture, at least not in the same way that it is like necessarily out here in the Southwest. But you're extremely well-versed in indigenous culture and that of your ancestors in Colombia. You know, tell us about your journey, learning about your own indigeneity and working that not just into your music, but your own daily life as well.
0: Oh, I've always learned that through my father. You know, my father told me when I was young that we were descendants of the Cheap people because we are located in Bogota, you know, from my father's side. And uh, learning about that and helping to add that to uh, hip hop, to me, was very natural, you know, because I believe that hip hop itself is a ritual, you know. And if I can be within prayer, within song, then I believe that it brings me even closer to my ancestors in a way that's not, maybe not the way that a lot of people would imagine, you know? And that's where I was, you know, mentally, emotionally, when I was in this concrete environment. And the more that I dug into that, the more that I was able to help apply it to the world around me, to go into oneself, to help paint the world around you, you know? And, and I, I have to also give great thanks to individuals like Jack from Cosmic Force you know, Native Threat, Cosmic Force, to Zero, to Pulque's Jaguar, because they showed me the way and they showed me different, you know, teachings that I don't think that I would have ever been able to learn if I was still in New York, you know? And when I went to California, my like, my mind just tripled and quadrupled. I was like, wow, you know, just when I thought that I knew the world, the world is so much more bigger than what my imagination can even conceive. And that, to me, is something that... You know, one thing that you can never take away from somebody is what they already know, you know, or what they've learned. You know, that's knowledge. You know, knowledge is empowering. Knowledge of oneself. You know, knowledge of one's stuff equates the knowledge of others. Knowledge of things around you. You know, of your circumference. You know, so that's where, that's why I feel like I've been able to branch out as to where a lot of people that I knew you know, felt that hip-hop should be a certain way or it's all about bars and hooks or it's all about the grinding samples. Yes, it's all about that, but it's also about so much more, you know, and so much more that I feel like a lot of people don't take into consideration. You know, um, I think that my approach also stems from kind of kindness and that softness within myself, you know, and people see that as different, people see that as unique, you know, to me, it's, it's just me trying to find a way to reflect the love and happiness that I feel like should be occurring throughout all of the earth, you know, and with that being said, I want to say uh, Bogota will always be indigenous land, no matter how much the metropolis grows, and I want to recognize it's Muisca territory, and it's a very sacred place, you know, a very sacred place, the emerald is sacred, the gold is sacred. The water is sacred, the trees are sacred, the salt is sacred. It says that, you know, the We Sky people, we were people of the salt. You know, that was our main trade. You know, we would trade salt, we would have salt mines. We would pay homage to the earth. Every day is a ritual. Every lyric, every bar, every delivery, every word that I feel like I can bring from the from the mind that is in my heart, that to me is the offering that I can give. You know, via poetry or via music. So that's how I feel like reflecting on those aspects that I'm able to find the
1: parallels between indigeneity and hip-hop, you know? Yeah, no doubt, man. And one thing also I admire about you that you express right now is this willingness to be open and to explore more than just what's around you in your immediate environment. And one way that you yourself have lived that out is that you no longer live in New York. You know, you've since uh, relocated to the West Coast, right?
0: Yes, sir. I've relocated to L.A.
1: Yeah, man. We know, like, tell us about that. What was the catalyst that influenced your decision to ultimately move out and relocate to the West Coast? Because I ain't no small feet, man. That's all the way across the country.
0: <laughs> hey, you know was wild? Shout out again to Pulque Haguad. You know, he, he didn't know me at all, and I had made that song fuck Trump. trance music with indian chants pendulum swinging the weight of a knife and a in the back of an elephant and in. special intelligence while developing killing the president right where we stands. swimming through beaches while covering allegiance and spreading diseases like i was white jesus taking the what do you know tell me like what do you grow what tell me like who do you are tell me like how do you grow the apart to the master design breaking and cracking your spine leaving the stars of a line helping the future behind Nigga, the stars of a line Juvia, julius julius you and I'm breaking the back and I'm rocking the crucifix Don't give a fuck if you've never been used to this Breaking it down on the way to the nucleus Woo. All my niggas on the spaceship Give a fuck about the Matrix Give a fuck about the Matrix oh And I had actually made that song in the studio as a freestyle after I had recorded my album uh, Shout out to Will Harris, you know, Sable Studios He he just played the beat, you know, and he said Give me your best shot And I was like, oh, like, You sure? You know, and that's how evolution is, right? You know, you're in uncomfortable settings, you're trying to do things, and I ended up killing that shit. And uh, Pulquez Jaguar reached out, and he was like, hey, brother, uh, you don't know me, but I'm having something called Mexica New Year, and I would like to uh, let you know that if you're down to perform, to come through. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even know about the indigenous scene in L.A. I didn't know anything. I was just in New York, working at this little cell phone store, This Metro PCS store, just like, you know, just going about my business. And when when there were no customers at work, I would just be freestyling or listening to records or finding out different, like, ways that I can go about a certain flow that I'm working on while working on the phone. And I would Google images of California. And I was like, okay, Lancaster. Okay, that's that. Freaking Palmdale. Okay, that's that. Palm Springs. And then I was like, L.A., I was like, Mariachi Plaza, what is that? And I and I looked it up and I was like, oh, Boyle Heights. And I you know, like I was like, huh, like this is dope. And then when I went out there, I was like, I was so scared, you know, there were so many people in front of me on that stage, but it felt so good to break out of that shell. And I think that was a major step in my growth as an artist and being was seeing that. Seeing that there's people that believe in the same things that I believe in. In New York, there's people in pockets that believe in that. And I honor them each individually. But in New York, I always felt like people were like, that's cool. Like they would hear like an indigenous reference and they'll be like, that's dope. But they they wouldn't feel it the way that a lot of people would feel it out here. You know, and, and I always felt like people thought that I was spitting dope stuff, but they never really cared to really understand what it was but when I came out here and I saw people coming up to me saying oh I'm from this lineage or thank you for shouting out the thank you for making that reference to you know like it, uh, it showed me that there's a there's, world, there's a whole world you know whether it's in New York because New York has beautiful artists too and, and its own scene its own way of going about things or if it's LA or if it's Texas or if it's anywhere around the world if it's Colombia. and Freaking Ecuador, Venezuela, El Salvador—that there's people that are resonating with you in ways that you will never know until you go
1: down there and you see for yourselves. You know? Yeah, man, no so, doubt. You know, like it's definitely in a certain sense like a, a culture shock. You know, moving out from the East Coast out here to the West. You know, there's just like you said, there's just different things are different. The history is different. The communities are different. People move a little bit differently. So you move out here and you're building and fostering, you know, this community out here. What have things been like since you moved out to California? What's been the biggest contrast between New York and L.A.? The fact that people call Deli's liquor
0: stores, that's wild. You know, like, as somebody told me, let's go to the liquor store. I was like, damn, I feel like drinking right now. You know, like in New York, we got bodegas and we got the two fours and we got the dollar Dutch spots. So it was kind of strange. but Not strange, it was unusual to see that there's no bodegas in California, you know? And I was just like, wow, it's wild, you know? But there aren't liquor stores. So it makes me feel like now when I go out to get stuff in New York, I'm gonna tell somebody to go to the liquor store and they're gonna be like, you try to drink, you know? like <laughs> That's the one thing that was one of the biggest contrasts. And also I saw how in New York, whether there is a huge impact from Dominican and Puerto Rican culture or Caribbean culture, uh, there's a huge impact here from Central American and Mexican culture, or Mexica culture. You know, it's a lot more prominent. You know, you go to a 7-Eleven in California, and you see the spicy candies, you know, that, that come from Mexico. You don't see that in New York for nothing. You have to go to, like, the deli or to a certain store to see that in New York. Prepare probably to Corona Queens, you know, to see that. So, it was dope to see that, you know. It was dope to see that they have Jarritos, you know. You can get them at, like, 7-Eleven, and You know, like, in New York, you know, they mostly just got, like, I don't know, just, like, regular degla sodas, you know? Mm -hmm. But it was dope to see how the environment contrasts and how that translates to how things are built. You know, you have a lot of houses here that are built a certain particular way that are, you know, reminiscent to a quote-unquote Mexican-style housing or the adobe houses. That's because, you know, Mexico, California was Mexico for a long time. But shout-out to all my, you know, Tongva natives and Kumeya natives.
1: Yeah, man, you know, it's definitely a trip, you know, like I think um, I think a lot of people going out the the East Coast and or people coming out from the East Coast out to the West, you know, something that's lost on a lot of people is the difference in the way that the communities are kind of set up and how neighborhoods are built. Because in New York, you know, everybody's kind of stacked on top of one another where in LA, you know, they'll kind of put a freeway or two in between people, you know, to kind of separate communities and whatnot. It's a little bit different. The way yeah, that's,
0: that's the only thing that I did notice, too, and it made me sad because I kind of feel like parts of California still feel very racially segregated, you know. Maybe not directly, but you could tell that there's differences within neighborhoods, you know, and, and it, it made me sad, you know. It, it made me sad because I got so used to being in New York where everybody grew up in the same projects or everybody grew up in the same town, the same hood, in the same building. You know, coming to California, I started seeing like, wow, like this is an all brown neighborhood, and this is a mostly predominantly black neighborhood, and then this is an all white neighborhood. You know, and that's one. That's that's another contrast that I saw. You know, it's it's just an observation that I made. You know, it's not any, it's not any negative comments to LA or anything, but it is something that I had noticed. It kind of blew my mind because when I would go to certain neighborhoods, you know, me being me, I would get looked at funny or. Or people would look at me and be like, oh, like, you know, like, I didn't know that you spoke Spanish or, you know, I got that a lot, you know, I got that a lot. When I would get haircuts, people would tell me, oh, like, you know, you speak Spanish very well for somebody that's not Hispanic or somebody, you know, basically saying that I was too, too, too black, you know, to be seen as the, what they would think or what they would imagine an indigenous or a brown person or a brown Afro-Colombian would look like you know yeah that's the you know just certain places and kind of just dis- kind of hurt you know
1: yeah man you know like it's um unfortunately how like the communities have kind of come up here in california it's a trip man you know i went out to to new york a couple of years ago and it's just a trip how like you could literally go over a block or two and you the the, the neighborhoods can change you know yeah, just on course. that block you know yeah it's like on a dime you know like we're here in california you know you kind of got to go a little bit like you said you might go from like a you know a quote-unquote latino hispanic neighborhood and then you go to the quote-unquote you know nicer rich white neighborhood or something like that but you got to travel a little bit you know where yeah, you have to go far you have to go far and you can see the
0: big line you're like oh shit okay like i'm in beverly hills now <laughs> like and it's way different from like you know, the other parts that are, that are surrounding that have people of color, mm-hmm. you know, or like, oh, shit, I'm in Calabasas. You're like, oh, no, nah. like, you know, like,
1: it's just different. <laughs> yeah, you know? man. It's very interesting to see how different communities have been built up and designed over the years, just depending on what region of the country you're in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and, and, and it got me curious to how other places might be. I was like, man, I wonder how uh, different parts of Texas are. Right? So I started wondering, like, you know, what is Idaho like? You know, just like, you know, I just started wondering, like, other than Columbia, I've only traveled to Florida and to parts of Pennsylvania, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. You know, in New Jersey, because it's right next to New York, but I've never gone anywhere to, like, the Southwest. You know, it's a whole different world. The climate is different. People are a lot nicer. People converse with you more. You know, that's one thing that I noticed Like in New York, people are just like, "All right, what do you want?" Or like, you know, like if somebody talks to you on the subway in New York, it's already too late because they're already mad enough to have to speak
1: to you. <laughs> you know, it's not like here where people will speak to you even if they have a problem with you. They'll
0: you can kind of talk your way in in or out of it. Versus in New York, by the time somebody opens their mouth at you in the subway, where it's not normal for people to talk, it's already they've already got their mind made up. You got to put your hands up. You know, like, <laughs> gotta fight or flight because you know. That's the, got mad.
1: that's the thing i always hear from cats from new york that come out here they say it's all like we well, y'all actually talk you guys are friendly out here or more friendly as opposed to out in new york yeah like i
0: was i was hanging out with a friend of mine and uh you know it's just it's just interesting you know he's uh he's in town right now and he's from new york and seeing and feeling like difference in climate of the way that people go about things was it's it's dope you know it's like refreshing it's like wow like people are so different in their own special and unique way you know like in new york if you ask somebody how they're feeling too much they you know kind of they kind of get a little you know they're like hey why are you trying to look out for me or why are you asking me so many questions you know i felt like that when i first came here people were being nice to me and asking me questions i was like you know like what's up like you know, who, why you want to know so much? Because in New York, you're not supposed to ask too many questions about anything. You know, you got somebody, like, you got somebody about, like, where they got something, something to eat in New York, and they'll be like, chill. You know, just because they don't want nobody
1: to come to where they're eating at. You know, and that's facts. Like, I feel bad. Like, Yo, man, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, like, that's true, you know, that's that's a quality that, like, exists out there, and, like, and it, it manifests itself, like, in hip-hop, too, you know. I've heard people say that... Every MC in New York is in competition with one another, so there's not necessarily that uh, that same camaraderie that's like, say, like in the South, you know, where like they all pull each other up. And yeah. and I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the current state of New York hip-hop. You know, like a lot of people kind of say that for like the past, I don't know, decade or so, New York has sonically kind of gone through somewhat of an identity crisis i mean you know you got cats like asap rocky who are like from harlem and are li- literally named after Rock Kim, but they sound like they're from houston but then you got artists like joy badass and davies you know cats like that that are kind of reinvigorating this uh, classic new york sound that the region and the city itself is kind of starting to reclaim on its own do you think that new york is kind of starting to re kind of reclaim its identity again
0: I think yes, and I I think that, uh, I don't think New York has gone through an identity crisis. I think that it's a mixture of the fact that there's so much influence that goes through New York that it just, being the melting pot that it is, it just creates this sound that can be anything at any time, anywhere. Mm. You know, and and it it kind of blows my mind, because you can hear artists that sound like they're from different parts of the world, but then they're from New York, you know, Or, or you can hear for example, right now, the music that I've seen that's that's been taking over the world, I don't want to say taking over the world, but the music that I've seen that's been very influential, that came from New York, even though it's had other influences from other places like the UK, would be drill, like drill music, like New York drill music has now, you have drill music in France, you have drill music in Africa, you have drill music in Brazil, you know, and it's a very specific Brooklyn kind of drill, and I think that yeah, right now New York is taking it back. You know, like New York has got, New York has got the grip on hip hop, and you know we're not letting go. You feel me? Like <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, you know, to be able to see New York now morph from being able to be so versatile to now sharpening their swords to being able to have a certain sound again. You know, which is gritty, but it's on time and it's it's sped up, it's slowed down, it's it, but it has this very particular sharpness that I I think I've missed for a long time
1: Yeah, no doubt man you know it's a beautiful thing it's it's really crazy to see how much stuff you know not only goes into New York but then comes out and is it's own unique thing taking all these different influences whatnot like you were saying and then goes in turn and influences other parts of the world yeah
0: it's wild yo it's wild the way that Hip-hop is one of the most influential genres of music in the entire planet. You know, oh, like uh, Erica, Erica Badu once said, you know, this is this is for my people, you know, hip-hop, you know, and that song, The Healer. You know, like hip-hop is the most, it can be used as a weapon or it can be used as something to heal us. You know, and, mm-hmm. and as I feel that, you know, because hip-hop can also influence us to do things or to be in a certain mood that we warn particularly in before we listen to something. Yeah, it's very careful, so with that comes a lot of great responsibility.
1: Yeah, man, you know. It's definitely some powerful stuff, you know, I've I've seen the just the influence yeah. that the culture has had, you know, over the past several decades, you know, there's there's no other culture or musical movement that has done what it's done. And it's it's a beautiful thing to see, man. You know, and with that said, man, I wanted to touch yeah. a little bit on on your own discography. You know, back in 2018, you released your mixtape, uh, Where the Mangoes Grow. Yes, sir. You know, tell us a little bit about that project, man, and that backstory. What's the significance of the name? What was the recording process like for that project? And kind of describe the journey of it all coming together.
0: Alright, so Where the Mangoes Grow was, uh, was something that was made with, after having a conversation with my father. my father told me that in this world people can take a lot of things from you people can take your house people can in certain situations even try to take your life what they can never do is take your spirit take the soul that's inside of you and the mangoes don't just grow in some Amazon rainforest or in some island in the middle of a blue ocean you know the mangoes grow inside of your heart you know and and once you realize that that self-love is within you, I think once the world realizes that the world will no longer feel the need to pillage and destroy and
1: rape other Earth's resources, for
0: that sense of self vanity and self-fulfillment that we seek on an everyday basis, even in our smallest interactions, so that our whole album is basically a love letter to ourselves and the journey in which I go upon discovering that self-love because this is where the mangoes grow you know they grow in you they don't grow in nobody else everybody has their own mangoes or their own garden to tend to you know and, and that's that to me is a very sacred thing right there took a while to make, but it didn't take too long. It took just the right time, and I just released it. I just like said, you know, like this feels like it belongs to the universe. You know, I didn't want to hold on to it for too long, and I'm very happy the way that it's impacted people. I have a lot of voicemails on that album, a lot of messages, a lot of stuff on that album that's very tender and very dear to me. So I'm thankful for everybody that took a big part of it. We recorded that at Sabella Studios, and we had. After we listened to it, we, uh, after I finished the last song, Fuck Trump was actually the last song recorded for that album as a freestyle. You know, like, so after we finished listening to it, we just kind of sat there and just enjoyed it, and we were just happy to be present within that moment.
1: How long did it take you to record that project from beginning to end, roughly?
0: I think two months. Two months? I think a month and a half? because that's when I had the Bella Studios by my house where well, they were a few towns away but that was the studio that I frequented at. I would just go there to hang out. So, like, to me we could record three songs in one day. You know, what What took longer though was conveying all the little interludes and all the little samples and, and all these little things, you know, all the voicemails. You know, the the message, the conversation with my father that I have on that album in the beginning of the song Indica. You know, like... All these things were just, they, I felt like I wanted to take my sweet time with it, and it paid off. You know, and I actually have another album coming soon called Mango. You know, it's going to be, the Guacamaya is featuring in that song. Tranquilo is featuring in that song. You know, shout out to La Clica, shout out to 360 Degrees Music Group. You know, like those, you know that's gonna be dope. And I have an album fourteen ninety two that's dropping soon, you know. I have been to all my people waiting on that. It's not it's not that it's not done. It's done. I, I will officially say this in this interview that album is done, but I just wanna wait to the right time to release it. And I want that to be a big thank you to everybody and every community that has supported me unconditionally
1: at that. Yeah, man, that's it's funny. That was actually the next question up. I was gonna ask you about fourteen ninety two on Mongo. You know, tell us what you can about those projects, man. Because you know, <laughs> the the people the people are excited and waiting for those two, man.
0: Well, fourteen ninety two originally, a lot of people don't know this. Originally titled, sometimes we find the emerald in the pouring rain. Because when I was in Santa Marta in the in the rainforest, I had this beautiful necklace, you know, and and I lost it. You know, it was a quartz crystal that was carved and cut into a pear shape kind of like the way diamonds are, and I had it with a rope, and I had it wire wrapped. I wire wrapped it myself, and it came off, you know, and I thought, man, whoever finds that's going to be lucky because particularly on that day, it was a huge storm, and all you could do was look down, and I thought about how that's a reflection of the gifts in one's life. Even when you feel like you're down and out, you know, you could find that gem, you know, that emerald, and the emerald is sacred, you know, to where my father's lineage comes from. You know, we pray to the emerald. You know, like, it's synonymous with life, with Mother Creation, with K'ichawaya, you know, Mother Earth. And, yeah, you know, so that's where that comes from. You know, sometimes you find the emerald in the pouring rain. And then I was like, maybe that's too long. So I changed it to 1492. I actually have an interlude of that situation with the rain falling with cosmic force on there. You know, mm. a lot of people don't know that. You <laughs> know, where I got a little scene where in Colombia, and they're like, hey, man, uh, you know, do you, are you sure you know how to get to Teyuna? You know, which is a sacred city, you know, it means treasure, you know, in in, uh, Arhuaco, a sacred language, you know, that's from Sla Santa Marta. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, that album's dropping soon, it's done. It's done. Everybody listening is done. I know it took two years to make that. It's done, and it has features from a lot of artists within the community, you know, I want to kind of
1: still keep a surprise. I'm excited to hear it, man, and I know a lot of other people, so we're We're definitely eager to hear it when it drops. Another thing I wanted to touch on, man, is that you have a gift as an MC of being a natural storyteller. And you're able to effortlessly paint a picture for a listener to see in their head. Something that that I wanted to confirm from you, you know, is it true that you don't write down your lyrics, man, that you just spit straight from the dome? Well, yes.
0: Yes, because honestly, it takes too long. Don't get it twisted, though. My pen game is ferocious. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure to sound cocky. My pen game, I'm very fond of my pen game, and I've worked really hard to be able to do it that way. But writing to me takes too much time. It makes me overthink things. It makes me nervous when I'm reciting it. So it's not. I wouldn't just see it as a gift. I would just see it as a ways of means to be able to get by and be able to do things as efficiently as possible. If I can record things straight from the heart, the way that they are at that exact moment to me, that's the goal to take. You know, and, and I approach that with a lot of my songs. You know, you can ask people. You can ask people that have been there, there with me. They'll be like, so you didn't write? You don't have anything to write? They're like, so are you ready to go up? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I just try to give them my best. If you listen to all of my songs, they each have they each either stutter, either say something wrong, and I want to keep that because I think that it's also... Just like an emerald or a natural stone that has natural inclusions. I want to make sure that the natural process is recorded as much as possible. And that's something that can't be polished away necessarily.
1: Yeah, man, you know, it's definitely a talent because when people think about that, you know, they think like big or Jay-Z, you know, people that do everything in their head and then they just go into the booth and just bam, you know, like, you know, one or two takes and knock it out like that. It's definitely a, a commendable talent, man, you know to be able to just spit it straight from the heart like that, you know, and not have to do too many uh, retakes or anything like that, you know. So, salute to you, brother, you know. <laughs>
0: salute to you, yes. Yeah, you know, and, and I feel like we all do that in the certain parts of our lives. We all wing it one way or another. So I think a lot of us have that same kind of talent or approach to things. We just exercise
1: it and express it in different outlets. Kind of touching also on your music, you know, your music comes from a position that is decidedly pro-Indigenous and your music is layered with messages of indigenous empowerment and spirituality. As an artist, what responsibility or obligation do you believe hip hop artists in particular have in our society to be speakers of truth to power, especially when expressing dissent, challenging institutions that perpetuate and uphold repressive systems are doing so much, you know, just blatantly out in the open now these days?
0: think that the responsibility that we have is to speak on those injustices and to keep it real 100%. Also, while expressing, you know, indigenous or tribal identity to respect the tribes in which we're speaking on. Because it makes no sense for me to say that I honor a certain tribe in the song and then to disrespect them or to disrespect their land when I'm present there. You know, whether it is aiding to, aiding to the manipulation of the land or siding with powers that be or governmental forces that continue on in the pillaging of his natural resources. So I think it's important to be all the way through way way through, you know, when it comes to that. Because you're not only invoking the spirits of other MCs that have passed away on the same quest, you're invoking the spirits of people that have fought for their lives to get their land back. You're invoking the spirits of people that have defied and murdered their slave masters. You know, you're invoking the spirits of people that have done things to change the outcome for the future beneficiality of their generations in a positive way under the oppression of the colonial occupation that is now America, you know, or the United States of America. So I think that we have a huge responsibility. I just I also don't think that we should be as hard as some of us are on ourselves because we're human, you know, we're people, you know, and then we're trying to unlearn. We're not perfect. I think a lot of the times people feel like they have to be perfect or they have to always be politically correct or it's okay to mess up. It happens. But what's important is that we learn, you know? We learn. You trip on a rock, you you get up. Do you continue tripping on rocks after a while? No, because, you, you know, you learn. You adapt. It's in our natural physiology to be able to adapt and grow in situations, you know? And I think that that's something that us as artists feel a lot because we're constantly being seen or some artists are being criticized you know when when in reality i think that what's important is to see that the artist is growing and if they're trying their hardest so what matters as long as they're not causing anybody harm
1: yeah man i kind of want to know like where do you personally kind of stand on that because many artists kind of bristle or shy away from labels of being you know quote-unquote woke and a lot of artists and performers you know they do get flack from certain circles in society when they speak out on social issues You know, so as you as a performer, you know, where do you stand in regards to that, especially, you know, like with the message in your music? I believe that
0: I wouldn't want to say that I'm woke because I think that's a very that's a hat that I don't think I deserve to wear yet because I'm part of me is still asleep. I'm still unlearning, and still learning. For me to say that would make me feel like I don't have anything to learn anymore. And the second that you think you don't have anything to learn is the second you don't learn anything at all. You know, and and I think that I'm just somebody that's trying to make a change because I care. And anybody listening to this, you should too. You know, the world is in a place right now where we shouldn't be in. If we can help to create a message that will help heighten the frequency or the vibration of the earth where we learn to love each other and do the right thing for Mother Earth, Tonantzin, Hichawaya, Pachamama—it's—it's—it's the best thing for us to do, you know, to be able to learn. Whatever issues regarding human rights, I'm all for that. I'm all for us fighting, you know. I'm all for us, you know, shutting shit down. I'm all for us choosing to do the right thing on a small basis in our households, you know. All—all all these things to me are not separate; they're all connected. So I wouldn't say that I'm woke But I will say that I care And I care a lot You know I'm not perfect I'm not Mr. Woke You know somebody's <laughs> giving me a problem in the streets I will slap the shit out of them <laughs> But that doesn't mean that I don't have the sense in the mind To love them first Before coming to anything like that
1: No doubt you know? man It's it's powerful, powerful words. Yes sir You know, you know, and kind of going along, you know, in those same lines, you know, caring about something, you know, whether it's an injustice, big or small, is the first step. Something that something that has received a lot of attention, sadly, right now, is the epidemic of police violence and brutality against Black, Brown, and Indigenous people in this country. And and you've gone on record to say that you've had a couple run-ins back at home with the Freeport PD. If you, yeah. don't, if you don't mind, man, you know, can you share a little bit of your experience as an Afro-Indigenous man with law enforcement in New York? Because I think a lot of people outside of New York, especially here in California, don't understand just how ruthless many of the police departments in New York can be. Fuck Freeport Police Department. You know,
0: they, you know, that's a corrupt, 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 corrupt place. You know, and, and I've had issues where they try to fight me I've had issues where they seek me out because I had outed out one of their officers as an abuser within the community who pistol-whipped somebody that I knew when they were trying to help resuscitate somebody that was dying, and they let them die. He let them die, you know? And he pistol-whipped, you know, my friend, you know? Like, same officer. Same officer that when I made the post, came up to me at 7-Eleven and told me, Hey, what's up? Like, you know, like they were getting coffee. He was getting coffee with his buddy. And as I'm, you know, getting in Arizona, you know, what I'm saying, you know, you know, you gotta get the $1 Arizona,
1: you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying?
0: But as I'm getting to Arizona, I hear him say, Yeah, you know, us cops, you know, gotta get our coffee, you know, us crooked cops. And I was the only one there. And I already knew. And I was like, oh, man, I hate this shit. Every day, you know, when I'll get pulled over, they will search me in the car for guns search me in the car for weed, search me in the car for possession of any kind of narcotic substance that I just don't have. You know, those, those things were annoying, you know, and that kind of got, after a while, you, you kind of get familiar with the same off, you don't get familiar, but they get familiar with you. You know, I was always told that once a police officer falls in love with your car, with your plate number, oh, man, good luck trying to get them off you because they're going to pull you over every single time. So I turned around eventually and I told him, hey, you know, it's freedom of speech. You know, I can say whatever it is that I want, you know, and, and then he said, oh, yeah. And then he was like, next time you want to talk shit about me on the internet, if you really value your life. I'll like, you keep my name out your fucking mouth. And I was like, what oh, word is that? So what you going to do, shoot me. And then he was like, oh, I'm not saying that, you know? And I guess he got nervous because I let him know, like, you know, I'm not scared of you. And then his man, the other police officer came from behind me and he told me, do it, pussy, do it, do it. I'll fuck you up right now. You know, and I remember both of them cornering me. One was in the front, one was in the back. You know, I was like, these cops are smart. You know, they're trying to get a reaction out of me. If I would have snuffed them or if I were to grab their gun or do anything, that would put any of us in harm's way. You know, immediately I would be the one seen as the agitator for simply defending myself. You know, and, and it was caught on camera. You know, I don't have the footage no more, but Seven Eleven had the footage of them coming up to me for no reason, basically one behind me. One in front of me basically practically sandwiching me to get me to do something you know and I told them take your badge off man. take your badge off and see me outside you know but they didn't want to do that because they know that they want to work everything to work in a way where there was in a position of power and the position of power is in a position where they're feared you know they can smell fear you know I have instances where I've just been by myself you know outside in front of my building The cars walk up to me and me for something that
1: happened in the neighborhood. Please, there they
0: go over there. <coughs> NYPD, let me see your hands. There Put there your way hands behind your back. Don't you fucking move. you or they'll ask me if I was somewhere because somebody that looked like me did so-and-so. And And the saddest part to me, the saddest part is that there were officers who were also people of color. That, to me, was the saddest part, you know, because it made me feel like they have a complex, where they feel like they have to please the white supremacy around them, their white higher-ups, you know, and that, to me, was very disheartening. So there's instances like that. You know, they beat up a lot of my friends. They... They recently, you know, did something very harmful to an older man in, in Freeport. You know, I don't, it's not my family, so I, I can't speak on the situation. You know, I, I hope that that situation works out the best. But, yeah, you know, they, they're, they're on it. The Freeport Police Department is crooked. New York Police Department is crooked. Though know, how about them? like, they're in a gang because they are. They're the biggest gang in the United States of America, you know? No,
1: no, man! Please, please, (laughs) share your piece. You know the NYPD is so big that if it was its own little entity, it's bigger than some countries' entire armies. Yeah, that's scary. Wow. Yes. Wow. Something else I wanted to ask you about is coming up as a young man. You know, you also grew up in New York when they had a stop and frisk, which officially on the books it doesn't exist anymore. Give your experience as a young man growing up in New York when. NYPD is using this barbaric policy of stop and frisk just to essentially stop people just because they're black or Latino.
0: Man, I haven't been stopped and frisk, but I've been stopped. Like, so stop and frisk would happen if they're walking too, and they see you, and they pat you down. But I've been hopped out on before, and then frisk, which I think is the same thing. But I don't know. I don't know what are the differences in that. But I was one time I was hanging out in Hempstead, New York, and... These cops put out out of nowhere. I was dropping off my little cousin at his partner's house and uh, they jumped out of nowhere. Like, jumped out. They they jumped out of that car like they were going to shoot. They jumped out and they literally made us put all of our hands against the hood of the car and they searched all of our pockets. They searched underneath our belts. They freaking, you know, like, they were like, oh, do you guys have any, have any guns on you? he this and that? And then they literally jumped back in the car and sped off. It was the most. That to me, was the most randomest, most intrusive, you know, search that has ever been conducted upon me. You know, like, it's horrible, you know. All we were doing was literally chatting, was literally talking, you know, with their family. Hey, how you doing? How's everything been? And they searched us. We weren't even in our vehicles. They just hopped out, put, like, flashlights in our faces, took out their badges because they were inside of plain clothes. They searched us and they jumped back in the car and sped off. I, I didn't even get a chance to say my name. You know, like, it was, like, they didn't even ask for no ID. They just, like, we so were just body. You know, they just searched us and just sped off, you know? Instead, that uh, was wild, you know? That wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. Shout-out to Lee Horace. You know, that's my cousin. Shout-out to Lee Horace from Vipo New York.
1: No doubt, man. Thank you for thank you for sharing, you know, that experience with us, you know, kind of giving a feel for the injustice, you know, and the, the predatory practices, you know, that like, police do in your community back in New York, you know, because I think that in a lot of ways, policing is it's, it's a national issue, but it's very much very local. It's hyper localized. So what it looks like in L.A., it may not look the same way in New York or Houston or Miami or somewhere. It's going to look slightly different in each place, but you're going to see the same injustices just done in a different manner essentially. Yeah, of
0: course. And in New York, they'd be happy to beat you. E. they pull out those batons when they was doing the protest, they was beating the bricks off of people. He's, like, fast. Fast. Like, they're, like, all excited. You would think that they got, like, a... You would think that somebody put, like, a literal battery into their suit. You know? Like, they... Like, it's, it's horrible. But the police in L.A. is crooked, too. You know? I heard about the Rampart Police Department, you know? Fuck Rampart Police Department. You know? Like, Fuck any kind of, you know, structure that promotes injustice towards, you know, people of color. You know, that, that shit's not cool and it's rooted in, in, in slavery. You know, mm-hmm. the, the first policemen were slave catchers. That's a fact.
1: You know, nobody wants yeah. to talk about that, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to talk about that. There's instances where, you know, and, not, and I'm not saying to ever call the cops, you know. I'm saying in instances where if you would, they're most likely to kill you. Instead of helping you out, mm-hmm. you know they're not there for you. They're there for themselves. You know they're there to get the promotion, they're there to get the little quota. You know, and if you just so happen to have something in your car that you shouldn't have, oh well, too bad for you. That's it. Boom, you get years. You know that's it, and they they continue on with their job. They say hello to their wife and kids. They probably say racist remarks to each other in private, and they go to sleep at night with a glass of warm milk. You yeah. know while you're. You know, freezing in your apartment with your mom while you're trying to struggle, while you're trying to survive, you know, while you're trying to, trying to, you're, you're trying to get a job or trying to look less menacing as a person of color to get a job, while you're trying to whitewash yourself to get that job. You know, that's, that's a reality. There's been many times that I've had a job interview, and I've had to tone down my ethnicness to get that job. Because I felt like I wouldn't be fully accepted. Meanwhile, officers are out here riding down on people like they're the gang members. Mm. You know, officers are out here really jumping out on people like they got street beef with you. You know what I'm saying? Like it's wild, and they need to make the MTA free. I'm sorry that I'm going on the rant, brother, but they need <laughs> no, to make man. the MTA free in New York because the MTA is trash. You know, you wait mad long for that train to be mad brick. It's freezing. And by the time you finally are able to get to your train, it's gone. And you got to wait, like wait like an hour for the next train or the train's not working. And I heard that they're raising the price of to $3 for the NTA. You know, when people don't have the anemone, some people don't have the luxury of having a car, especially in New York City, how expensive it is. That station is the only thing that's taken people's families from point A to point B to be able to get a job be able to eat feed their kids you know and cops wait right there right after you hop turns out they wait right there get get arrested get put in the bookings or you get a citation you know it's not you know it's not fair it's not fair at all you know and
1: they're benefiting off those other people's suffering yeah man thank you for sharing your your experiences and giving our listeners a national perspective outside of their community you know, that they otherwise might not hear, man, because you're giving us the real deal, you know, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank, and thank, you. thank
0: you for letting me speak. You know, <laughs> I'm, a lot of things I like to keep
1: to myself. Of course, man. Uh, something that you touched upon was a lot of times what we have to do is tone ourselves down to meet the white gaze, if you will, you know, whether it's for yes. in society, for job opportunities or, or even promotions if you're already in a job. And something that I do like is that you, you combat that in your music. A- along with indigenous empowerment in your music, there's a strong philosophy of decolonization in your artwork. And the term gets thrown around a lot these days, both in academia and online, across social media as a hashtag or a buzzword. But I wanted to ask you, brother, you know, what does decolonization mean to you both personally and how it's expressed and manifested in your music and your own daily life?
0: think that decolonization is expressed first and foremost by killing the colonizer in your head, which promotes and perpetuates toxic masculinity, perpetuates sexism, perpetuates rape culture, perpetuates self-hating, perpetuates the police state, perpetuates the ego that we have on an everyday basis. And decolonizing is learning and unlearning, and it's not just subjectively only for it people of indigenous descent to be Americas, it's for people that have African roots, it's for people that have roots in Asia, because we've all in some way, one way shape or form, all of our ancestors have been somehow raped by the same colonizer maybe not the same nation but the colonizer itself that mentality has affected us and caused us to plunge economically into systems that don't even benefit its own people Systems that aren't even accurate. How is it that while people were still living in caves, that the Mexica Empire, the Egyptian Empire, were flourishing, flourishing? How is it that while people were dying of, you know, plagues, we were flourishing? And that's something that I think that we need to take into perspective. We've been having this on a lot. Whether you're indigenous to any part of earth, it's not only just white people that are colonizers. It's a mentality now. It's a disease that slowly creeps in you. You know, and I think that it's important for us to understand that we need to rid ourselves of that kind of mentality. Because if we don't, we will continue to contribute to Mother Earth dying. Mother Earth doesn't have eyes, it just has feelings, it just has oceans. The roots that are the the veins and the trees. And I think that if we don't decolonize, we will do the same damage, if not greater. I don't think we can do greater because, you know, the white man has done a lot of fucked up damage. <laughs> but we can do a great deal of damage if we don't decolonize. So decolonizing, for me, means to be mindful and to learn that certain things that we partake in on an everyday basis that might seem okay are not. But it's up to us. It's up to us. The red road is not a road that you walk or any road to self-righteousness or any road to growth and self-empowerment is not a road that's always meant to be walked with others. A very dear brother of mine told me that some of those roads are private. You walk them within yourself. Some some of us are in movement. Some of us are not. Some of us keep to ourselves. Some of us barely have friends. But what's important is that we make that change every day to do the right thing. Because if we don't do the right thing, who else is going to do the right thing for you and your life and those around you? Nobody. Who who's gonna love you better than you? You know? True. And who's gonna inspire other people to love themselves better than themselves? And if we can all do that collectively, I think that's the true spirit of decolonization. Once we realize that we don't need these Eurocentric beauty standards to make us feel pretty, to make us feel loved, to make us feel appreciated. It used to break my heart every time that I would go to a job interview and I'd have to take out my braids or I would have to change my appearance. I would have to put on these stupid pants on, these stupid shoes, you know, like this real Y C shoe uniform on, just to be, Hey, how you doing, sir? Like when that's not how I am, it's not how I feel inside, you know, like I don't wanna work here. I you know how I wish I could steal every single freaking gem that was stolen from the land here, you know, like mm-hmm. I used to work at the jewelry store and I used to think to myself every day, like, man, like, if somebody stole this shit, I wouldn't be mad because this shit's not even supposed to be here in the first place. You know, and like, most of these things have blood on them. Like I said in the song Tranquilo, Lagrimas Joro, la sangre que cae, I entro el oro, no cambia su brillo. We, we live in a world where these things are constantly commodified. Nobody bats not. So I used to think about that a lot, you know, like the the settler's gaze affects it on a psychological level where if I go outside, I have to think I like if I want to walk into a white neighborhood, let me not look a certain way because I might get stopped. That's fucked up that you have to even think that. That's not normal. That's not the way things should be. But that's how they are. You know, or if I go jogging, you know, I can't wear too much of a face mask because you'll, you'll, you know, you'll something will happen to you no rest in peace to the young brother that died while on the
1: run rest in peace to mod Arbery. for real yeah. yeah man you know it's it's powerful stuff and i i love how this unflinching uh message of decolonization is present throughout all of your music and um and speaking of decolonization one of your regular collaborators in this hip hop thing is cosmic force who we shouted out earlier in voice so, with, hey. right
0: oh. with my ba- and say, live on another day, live on another day. Sus palos y pas en el lago Iguaque. Los borriquines que viven en la tierra lenape. Lágrimas que caen adentro de el serapí. Yo recuerdo de los mangos y también aguacates. Whisca huella cuando entro al combate. de La luna enamorado mientras hablo con Pachua. Glowing different, living in the trees. Maybe I can find a hibernation in the station. This a new sensation vibing on the grease. I could find a different world continuous When I've been flowing high across the seven seas Maybe you could feel the way you feel But I could love you anyway And even if you disagree Maybe if you're realizing everything we live in Like living so different in the trees once you realize that all connections that are spiritual and written only may be in the leaves. Nah, nah, nah. This is where the motherfucking mango's me, yeah, If you really flow, yeah, if you disbelieve. Really but all I know is life is really different. Even when you pass this earth, you ain't gonna never ever leave. Exist in every particle when every article regardless, is written in the spin that I breathe. Love, love, love. Connecting with the
1: How did you first link up with Jag and Threat, you know? How did that relationship come about? How did you guys first start collaborating and eventually (laughs) forge this friendship?
0: Oh man, you wanted to know? (laughs) Um, I actually did a show that day with El Vu and a couple of other people, and my ride um, ended up leaving on us and left on me. Everybody else got a ride, and I I was too embarrassed to tell anybody that I needed a ride. So I found Jag, and I was like, yo, uh, can y'all give me a ride? And it was when I was staying there, and I was staying at my friend's house, and he had fell asleep, you know, and I was just like, oh, shit, like, what do I do? So we <laughs> rode around in their car. It was me, Jag, uh, it was me, Jack Thread, and their partner, and, and I didn't know any of them, and I'm just there, like, what the heck do I do? I think it was my second to last day before heading back to New York, because I hadn't moved there yet. I was just there to do Michigan New Year. Or just just kinda of explore and be around and get to know spaces and to know the, the area. Yeah, that's how I meant it. After that we just chopped it up and Jag would always invite me to go eat, you know, with their partner and, and threat as well, you know, and, and it was nice. You know, it was those are two solid, 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 solid individuals in the game that I, I, I owe my life to. I appreciate them a lot,
1: you know, for real, for real. No, shout out to Jag and Threat, you know, too. Real Dope down to earth brothers, you know, and well respected too, man. You know, they they definitely walk the the linea, you know, they walk the walk and they talk that talk. It's true. You know. It's true,
0: and I think it's a very beautiful thing. A very beautiful thing to have
1: been able to grow friendships that I feel like will last beyond lifetimes. Yeah. Will last generations. No doubt, man. As an artist, what do you hope that audiences as well as others from outside of the community will gain and take away from their music when they listen to you?
0: The feeling of knowing that there's a voice out there that's that's there for you and is there with you. The feeling that they can listen to my stuff on a good day and be inspired to go work out or go have something to eat. You know, go kiss, kiss their mom on the cheek and tell them that they love them. Go hug their father. Music that will help them, inspire them to be more gentle with themselves. Because they will remember that the person that made this music used to be a child, just like the child that they have. And instead of reprimanding that child and making them feel bad for wanting to be creative or wanting to do things a different route than everybody else, they'll be more patient. So I think patience is what I hope everybody gains from listening to my music. Taking apart the fact that patience and being able to be understanding are key elements to decolonizing. And I also want to take away the fact that the settler colonial state is bullshit. That's You know, it's bullshit. And and I want that to be known. And and, and I also wanted to learn that you don't have to have a particular style to be able to talk about social issues. I can make a trap record and talk about social issues. I can make a drill record, talk about social issues. I can make a boom bap record, talk about social issues. And I'll still be able to flex it and be able to do it in a way that creatively inspires those around me and inspires myself. To let them know that art is fluid. It's a fluid motion, so is hip-hop. You know, what's important is your intention behind it. And I think that's one thing I hope people take away from it is the fluidity. To be able to do whatever and be whomever you want to be, no matter what anybody says to you, no matter how people want to label you, no matter what preconceived notion or thought people
1: have of you, that they'll still be able to grow. If you have one message to give to your fans directly, Or if you could have your fans remember you by one thing, what would it be? A mango.
0: And that the mangoes grow inside your heart. And love is free. Love is free forever. And if you can taste the sweetness inside of that mango when you bite into it, you can taste the sweetness of yourself, of your own happiness. And it's limitless the seed of hope will be planted and rooted in happiness
1: and watered by the struggle. I love that, man. I love that. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. Uh, thank you, man.
0: Thank you, for real. And I feel like this is almost like a therapy session. <laughs> no, because all these things are things that I think of and I just keep it to myself. You know? like, <laughs> Just kind of just keep making music and petting my pet birds and shit, like, <laughs> you know, like, shout out to the birds. <laughs> shout out to the birds they are actually sleeping right now. To our
1: feathered friends.
0: <laughs> babies, yeah. Hey, one thing I want to say also is that taking care of birds, man, I knew that I could love something or someone, but God damn, I did not know that I could love another being this much. It, it has transcended my love. I love these birds more than I thought that I could love other people and that's hard because I love people I love earth but man, when I hold these little creatures in my hand and they look at me because they're smart, they, they look at you and they, they make faces when they want to be petted or cuddled, <laughs> when I hold them and I see that they look at me and they they're they're telling me my life is in your hands and I trust you I trust you to not run away or to not jump off it means a lot and that to me inspires me to want to be more gentle with everybody around.
1: That's dope, man. You know, it just goes to show that love knows no boundaries.
0: You know. Yep. Love love is like water. It'll break through anything. It'll find a way to manifest. It'll if if water can't get to the desert, it'll get there
1: from the sky. It'll rain on you. You know? It's true, man. Man, you know, dropping these gems on here, man, of the people. I love it. Sometimes
0: <laughs> you find the emerald
1: in the pouring rain. You feel me? <laughs> I, I absolutely, I absolutely love it, man. You know, man. With that said, yeah. you know what can you tell us about upcoming projects that you've got lined up for the future in 2021? You know, what does the immediate future hold for Azomali?
0: Well, I got two music videos dropping at the end of this month or early April. One is for Tranquilo, and the other one is for Pachamama. And this is gonna be sick. And they're all part of the album Mango, you know, which has been recorded majority in LA and in Colombia by my cousin. Shout, shout out to Mystic Mix. That's my Primo. I remember he told me, Hey Primo, I got the studio. And now you know how friends tell you they got the studio, but they just kinda of bullshitting sometimes. <laughs> nah, he he's I didn't know he was a full blown engineer. I was like, oh, whoa, like, you know, like He even had a preset for my voice and everything. Damn. You know, and and it was love. You know, it was dope, you know? So look out for that album. Mango is going to be the first one that I'm going to be dropping. After that, I'm going to drop 1492 in the same year. Don't worry, guys. I'm sorry. I I took a long time. But Mango's is going to be the one that's going to be released first. And it's going to be basically taking a trip into Colombia through the eyes of a child born in New York.
1: Dope, man. You know?
0: I, I, I sampled. For the song Guacamaya, I sampled an actual street vendor. It's not that I got out from the internet. I got up to a street vendor and I I pressed record while having a a conversation with him. The one that goes, Mangos, Mangos. You know, like that's an actual street vendor in my neighborhood that my family has generations in. So that album is going to have just like 1492 but mangos going to have so much interwoven little insiders between me and my family that I feel like I want to share with the world. I'm tired of just seeing
1: these things and keeping them to myself or hearing these things. It's dope, man. We're waiting. We're, we're eagerly awaiting them. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. So, yo, where can people find you and follow you online to see all of your work and get all the latest updates on uh, new music, promotions, shows and events when we can finally start going back out again? So find me on
0: Instagram at Azomali1994, A Z O M A L I1994. You can find me on SoundCloud, Azomali, and you know you'll you'll catch me at LA Natives Podcast. You'll catch me on Mashika New Year. You'll catch me on Gratefully at Underground Hip Hop Blog. You'll catch me on Step Off Magazine. You know Step Off Radio. You know you'll catch me here, hum- humbly and you know, like appreciatively,
1: and you'll catch me in Colombia. So see me, we out here, you heard? <laughs> no doubt, man. Yo, man, so with that said, you got any closing comments or anything else you want to let our listeners know about yourself or anything else I might have missed?
0: Just make sure that whoever listens to this, I want to make sure that they know that if you're going through something right now, there's always people that are there to help you. And if there's not people that are there to help you, there's parts of yourself that are there to help you. So please be gentle with yourself if you're going through something. And I love you. And I know that you love you. And I know that we all love each other. You know, and I want to make sure that there's something that none of us forget. Love is free. That's the one thing in life that the government can never put a tax on. So with that being said, love yourselves. You know, Azumali loves you. You know, Step Off, you know, Radio loves you. And we're all here together and we're all here to help each other, you know? great be great spread your wings you know grow spread your roots you know don't let any kind of fascist colonial way of thinking get in the way between you and your dreams because the only thing that changes the only thing that's between you and your dreams is colonialism and it's the fact that they taught you that it's bad to sleepwalk they taught you it's bad to achieve them they taught you it's bad to think that you can make these things happen
1: and i I mean i mean that for real yeah, well, Azomali, once again, brother, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, Azomali, you can listen to his project, Where the Mangoes Grow. You could also catch him on the song, Another Day with Cosmic Force, off of their project, Sound the mm-hmm. Weapon. And be on the lookout for Mongo and 1492 coming out soon. Azomali, thank you, you, brother. There. Salute. <laughs> Take care, brother. And with that said, we out. Well, guys, that's our show. Once again, super big shout out to our brother, Azamali, for coming on today. We're going to close out today's show with a special performance of his song, Tofu with Brown Rice. It's off of his album, Where the Mangoes Grow. Also, make sure to be on the lookout for his albums, "Mango" and 1492. And with that said, we out.
0: Hey 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 I've had been around random lost so many times I'd have been around so roast, so many rounds I'd have been around the lost so many nights to me in this city when the cosmos in the blocks You see me in this city I on start to didi bop. lost in the cosmos for the shots of really now lost in the cars, for the loss I'm really not in the motherfucking you yeah. don't need to interrupt in the face place with the base that in the inner ox how the fuck supposed to put your faith in the god take you away from your ways that inner god They burn down the churches and monsters in the god's You're lost in the place in the place is suicide fast face psycho social suicide promise lost for the cost of blue side Elders, well birds and enterprise, profit from the moment till you die. How the folks supposed to be in better position when they be coming through and ripping and me village in villages. I dilate late, did you read and then the malls and pop my backwards right there by the liquor store? My am backwards right there by the liquor store. Homie, do you know what the fuck they sound like? The tofu burnt with the coke and brown rice. I live in the city with a mac and town meat. Blue face case with the lace cacao teeth. Might get lost in the place they found me. Jungle lion, giant witcher, who's a Ryan's crying while I crack the crucifix. Tell me, you ain't never Everyone been so useless. With real human you are? Closeness. Especially today when it's out to all the people out here. relationships seem, seem to, to more be more, more temporary. What we're are. witnessing, of course, is the Life, death the of the permanence. A new society that a is being created around us, built from the broken three, six, pieces three, six, of today. Three, six, and those who people that society have got to live in a... A different world. Honoré malparido. Yo no pierdo equilibro. Ilusiones made of vidrio. Oro blanco con zafiro. Soy de la serpiente en el río. All in la corrijo, en crío. Lágrimas de cocodrilo, lari mar coco frito. Lágrimas de Tommy's primos, tías también, también abuelas. Living in favelas, life forever. With yeah. my mom inside the same apartment. Like fuck, free for Police Department. Fuck, free for Police Department. Right away. I'm a backwoods right there by the liquor store. What are you going to do? Lately, I've been walking, ain't been feeling in the mud. Musically inclined within the rhythm that we grow. How do you not really understand like walking through? I'm a backwoods right there by the liquor store.
1: This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego. Intro music done by DJ Root, and additional music by the Daywolf Music Library. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.